Believe in yourself, reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender, there is more than it seems. Hold on and fight, follow your heart. This is your way, love is what you make of it. Hi, this is Dr. Joe Luciani welcoming you to another session of self-coaching, where real-life emotional struggle, whether it's depression, anxiety, relationship conflict, losing weight, or simply handling life's challenges are all addressed, teaching you to become your own best coach. Well, in today's podcast, I'm going to ask you to really get into your coaching because you're going to coach yourself right out of any struggle. And you're going to coach yourself toward the path of solace and happiness. It is certainly doable. But You've got to become your own best coach. So let's begin. So what's the first step? Well, there's an old joke. Uh, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? And the answer is practice, practice, practice. So if you're serious about wanting to end your emotional struggle, if you're anxious, if you're depressed, if you lack self-confidence, if you, if you lack self-esteem, whatever you are struggling with, if you're serious and you want to go to the other side of that fence and find what you need in this life, then keep listening to this podcast. If you're not serious, then stop listening right now because we're going to get into what takes practice, practice, practice. If you're unwilling to practice, if you're unwilling to put in the work, then this podcast isn't for you. Now, why am I emphasizing this to such an extent? Well, because basically we are the end product of the habits that have shaped our lives, especially habits of insecurity. And habits are more than just mental aberrations. They are also physiological, neurological, alterations that occur in our brain. We call them habit loops. So a habit is really imprinted in our brain. And in order to neutralize habits and replace them with more adaptive and formidable positive habits, you do that over time with practice and with patience. Now, the truth is, this is not rocket science. You absolutely can do this. You can change the anatomy in your brain. This has been shown over and over again. Taxicab drivers in London that have to remember something like 22,000 landmarks, streets to get their license. It takes almost two years to get this particular license to drive one of those little black cabs. There was one study that did some imaging of their brain when they started the program. And then when they finished the program and had two years or so of experience driving around, they did the same imaging on the same people and saw that the navigation center of the brain had grown. So we affect our brain, we change our anatomy, and we change our behavior. If we could change the navigation center in our brain, we can change the habit loops that are holding us back, that are imprisoning us and keeping us from the life potential that we have. But it takes practice. So that's why I started out. If you're serious, if you really want to do this, there's no shortcut. 
you know, aren't we? Well, listen, we're always looking for the shortest answer, right? It's kind of the Occam's razor of psychological duress. We want answers. And we kind of think that the next book or the next guru or the next shaman is going to give us those answers. And that's what it will take, just like an abracadabra. And once we have that answer, we'll be set free from a life of struggle. Right, if it were only so easy. And let's face it, people go through all kinds of experiences trying to liberate themselves, only to wind up back, kind of that yo-yo thing, back to square one. Because the habits themselves persist. You can suppress those habits for a while, and you can go on this infatuated glow that you're feeling better and life is great, but the habits will eventually will out and they will percolate back up to the surface because habits are resistant to change. We are creatures of habits. It's part of our DNA to form habits. It makes us more efficient. So it's no wonder that the human species develop this mechanism for making durable, lasting habits. Habits ostensibly are geared to help us. Inadvertently, they're not helpful at all. And what I'm talking about is that Insecurity, when you feel vulnerable as a child, as you're growing up, it's going to seem adaptive to worry, to maybe avoid. And this can form into a habit, a maladaptive habit. As I say, ostensibly, it was geared to help us be less vulnerable. But what it does in the long run is it creates havoc in our lives. So everything in us is trying to survive one way or another, even maladaptive habits. The intent is to feel less vulnerable and more in control. So we now need to consciously override the distorted acquisition of habits of insecurity, recognizing that these habits really don't serve us. They don't make us feel less vulnerable, quite the, quite the contrary. And, and we go forward now with a realization that the answer that we seek comes from diminishing the input that insecurity-driven thinking has on our lives, the habits of insecurity, and we'll get into all of that, diminishing that to the point where you can replace it with a healthy, more mature and productive habit, a habit that will serve you as you go forward. And I guess what we're talking about is psychological maturity, because the immature, and I call it the child reflex, insecurity, since it's laid down early in life, has that childlike tendency to it, that hysteroid tendency. You know, when you when you worry or you get upset, oh no, it's the end of the world. And, you know, there's that childlike quality to some of these primitive, and I call it the child reflex, these primitive reflexes. So psychological maturity is recognizing that these habits are less than conscious. They they tend to just take over, put us in the back seat, and these habits begin to steer the child reflex. And they are primitive. They're not necessarily rational, mature, healthy, but we become victimized by the reflex. Anyone that's worried, anyone that's ruminated or become panicky can tell you that something else is happening to them. They're not steering at this moment. They've been taken over by habits, the child reflex, by insecurity. So we're going to talk about getting that maturity today getting away from the child reflex. And I keep calling it the child reflex. Well, it costs the, the reflex, as I said, was laid down so long ago. And I call it the child reflex. Let me emphasize, because 
when you get into a child's mode, you that reflex has you acting more childlike, more impatient. It's hard for you to delay gratification. You need things impulsively. Studies have shown that if you offer a child two lollipops tomorrow or one lollipop right now, they'll take the one lollipop. Children are impulsive. And our child reflex tends to be impulsive. So we're going to challenge that impatience today. And we're going to set you on a path of practice, daily practice. Now, that doesn't sound as appealing as I'm going to give you the solution to your life in three words. It certainly doesn't sound appealing that I'm going to show you what you need to do every single day. For how long? Well, it depends. No one really knows how long it takes to break a habit. No one really knows how long it takes to form a habit. Everyone's different. Everyone's an individual. But it's going to take weeks, months, and sometimes years. Now, don't get excited. When I say sometimes years, deep-seated habits, traumatic habits of insecurity, PTSD kind of stuff, it does take a whittling away over time, a long enough period of time. And if something was laid down in your most early years, preschool years, and these were uh, traumatic experiences, well, you've lived and reinforced these habits all your life. So they've been around a while, and it's going to take a while to unravel, to neutralize. Now, that doesn't mean, and here's where I want to get you to relax, that doesn't mean that you have to wait for years for results. It is incremental. You start to feel better and stronger. You know, it's like smoking. I smoked back in the 70s and 60s, like most people did, so don't hold it against me. And I decided to quit smoking in the early 70s. And I did, cold turkey. And that habit, that habit of nicotine, is it's a, it's a demon of a habit, I'll tell you. But it was terrible at first, absolutely terrible. Probably the worst thing I ever went through. I hated it. I hated every moment of being awake, really. And then that first week went by and the second week, first month, and I kept sticking to it. You know, I didn't listen to those voices that were saying, oh, you could just have a, a drag. You could just have one cigarette. I didn't listen to those voices. And then as the weeks continued to go by, the voices got less and less. And the span in between the cravings got more and more. And eventually it was days before I thought of a cigarette and eventually months. It was about two years when I stopped thinking altogether of wanting a cigarette. And you couldn't force me after the, that two-year period. You couldn't force me to have a cigarette. So you see, I had neutralized the nicotine habit. And it took time. But incrementally, I began to get better and better and better. So it's sobering to think that if you really want to liberate yourself from intense anxiety, depression, more serious, complicated emotional struggle, I know it's disheartening to think that it's going to take time, but trust me, it's incremental. You'll start to feel better and better and better. Is it any different than learning an instrument? You start to play a tune, and it sounds horrible. And if you play the guitar, you're fingering on the left hand. It, it just seems like your fingers don't want to cooperate. And then in time, little by little, muscle memory comes in, and little by little, the tune starts to come out, and eventually you play the song. So this is the same with what we're talking about. In time, you'll start to see the tune coming out. You'll start to see life from the other side of that fence. 
the other side being the side without emotional chaos, without the input of insecurity. So I keep talking about insecurity. And let me just, if you've listened to these podcasts, I will give you a quick refresher. Uh, Insecurity is something that we all live with. I mean, everyone has some degree of insecurity. I mean, no one grows up in a perfect world with perfect parents. Everybody suffers some separation, loss, death. So insecurity is a state that we all have to grapple with throughout our growing up years. And it's, it is inevitable. Now, some, some children have real scars, you know, just neglectful parents, parents that are alcoholic or drug addicted, abandonment. So some children have deeper scars, of course, and some people, even, even kids in, in wonderful homes. You know, parents, as I say, are not perfect. Uh, maybe mom's a little bit too controlling and wants to protect you a little bit too much, you know, that old helicopter stuff. But nevertheless, everybody develops some insecurity, which is synonymous with feelings of vulnerability. And as I said in the beginning, we do not like to feel vulnerable. No way. So what do we do? We compensate vulnerability by trying to control life, over control life. Since we're feeling out of control, we find ways to feel in control. And this is where the neurotic habits, the habits of insecurity have their origin. When that child or pre-adolescent or adolescent begins to try to over-control life to compensate for their feelings of vulnerability, this is where the child reflex begins. And we're just trying to feel less vulnerable. We do that by most ubiquitous of the controlling strategies is worrying. We worry because we're trying to anticipate what's going to happen. And we are projecting insecurity into the future, because we don't worry about things going right. We worry about chaos, things going wrong. So insecurity gets projected into the future, and we start wringing our hands, worrying, what if, what if, what if. Sometimes the child might pull back, become avoidant, shy, scared, and that habit might persist. Sometimes a child might become aggressive, a bully. You know, aggression takes control of people, makes them cower, makes you feel less vulnerable. So these are maladaptive tendencies to over-control life. And I say over-control because certainly you, you wouldn't have issue with the fact that some control is absolutely necessary. Taking vitamins, wearing seatbelts, stuff like that is, is good control. So there is good control. We're talking about the bad control, the over-controlling of life because of insecurity, because we're trying to compensate for insecurity. So what we need to do is you need to get in touch with insecurity-driven thinking. So this is the path I want you to be on. This is the path that I'm laying out for you today. You need to get in touch with the insecurity-driven thinking that heretofore has been going on willy-nilly, just below the level of consciousness, reflexively. And by getting in touch with the insecurity-driven thinking, that's where we begin to do battle. Now, how do we know insecurity-driven thinking? Well, one way is by just how you feel. When it's insecurity-driven thinking, it causes stress, a bit of tension, not in your stomach. It doesn't feel good. It may be subtle or not subtle, as in a panic attack, But usually, when we're caught up in insecurity-driven thinking, we're not feeling so good. We're not feeling really the solace that life has to offer. So one way 
is to get in touch with what's going on in your mind, in your body, the feeling state. The next thing is to start scrutinizing the thoughts that are going through your mind at this point, right? Are they the negative, pessimistic thoughts? Oh, that's not going to end well. He's not going to like me or she's not going to like me. I'll never amount to much. Pessimism is another projection of insecurity. How do you know you're not going to amount to much? How do you know you won't get that job? You see, maybe there's a probability in that, but the pessimistic person gets wedded to the pessimistic thoughts. And these are the thoughts that insecurity perpetrates. And these are the thoughts, now here's a big word, these are the thoughts that feed the destructive habit or habits of insecurity. So we've got to stop the feeding process. So what's the feeding process? Well, if you, I always like to come back to my favorite story. If you have a little patio and you go out there and you're reading your paper, or nowadays you don't read papers, you've got your iPad, and there's a little pigeon. And you say, hey, hey, little guy, and you throw him a piece of your bagel. Next day you go out, he brought a buddy along. Terrific. Hey, here's some bagel. You go out a week later, and you can't even get to the patio. It's covered with pigeons doing their thing, dropping their drops. And you just, you're, you're aghast. What do I do? What do I do? Well, stop feeding the pigeons. So you must stop feeding the pigeons of insecurity. Pessimism is one. Now, optimism is a choice too. But, you know, this is both a leap of faith. The pessimist and the optimist live different lives in the moment. So negativity, okay. That's one thing you need to get in touch with. So let's get in touch with the thoughts of insecurity. There's pessimistic thinking. There's worrying, which is, these are closely related, of course. And as I said before, we worry about things going awry. We're trying to protect ourselves. We're trying to feel less vulnerable. Doubts and hesitations. You know, when you lack confidence, that's coming from insecurity. You're afraid to make a choice. What if I'm wrong? What if I choose the wrong thing? You see this sometimes really amplified when someone's about to get married, select a career in school, just so many choices that when someone might have the greatest prospects, someone might be going out with the greatest partner since sliced bread and, and really find it hard to commit. Well, because what if I'm wrong? How do I know I can trust my perceptions? Sure, I feel I'm in love with this person, but how, how do I know those are legitimate feelings? You can't trust anything when insecurity is driving. Insecurity will always keep you off balance. Fears. When you feel that fear in your belly, when an insecurity begins to catastrophize, and you're wondering, how am I going to handle this? What can I do? So whether it be negatives, doubts, hesitations, fears, worrying, these are the crumbs that you feed those pigeons with, there's crumbs that keep the habit alive. And you've got to stop feeding your pigeons. Doubts, fears, negatives, hesitations, worries. You've got to stop doing it. So how do you do it? Well, one thing you need to do is, you might even say to yourself, <laughs> let's use it as a mantra, I've got to stop feeding the pigeons when you catch yourself. So the first thing is you got to catch yourself, right? So you got to get in touch with the insecurity-driven thinking. Then you've got to stop feeding the habit. We do this with an active, conscious mind. 
Now, there's the consciousness, there's the semi-consciousness, there's the unconscious. The conscious mind can override anything in your psyche. It is that powerful. When I stopped cigarette smoking, my conscious mind went through hell, but it prevailed over all the addictive aspects of that nicotine. And that's just an example. The conscious mind is your strongest ally. It can eliminate the insecurity-driven thinking. So recognize, one, that you have the power, you have the ability, you have to realize the strength of your conscious mind to take charge, finding that psychological maturity, insisting on a more objective, rational, and healthy thinking. You can figure it out. Don't cop out. Don't say, oh, I don't know what to do. I don't know what I would Yes, you do. And if you don't know, depersonalize it. Think of someone you admire, someone who has shown this psychological maturity and strength. Well, how would so-and-so handle this? When you depersonalize it, you could probably figure it out. Well, she would handle it, blah, 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 blah. Think about someone who you admire. And if you can't figure it out, on your own, which you will eventually do that. But until you do, you might want to say, well, how would so-and-so handle it? And you could probably figure it out because you've depersonalized it a bit. You made it more accessible that way. But do keep in mind that all insecurity-driven thinking, this habit of insecurity, this child reflex, we have a choice. Always there's a choice. And that is so important for you to realize. We can choose to allow insecurity to steer our lives. We could choose to be passive, be lumped up in the back seat, watching insecurity just take over, letting worry go on incessantly. What if, what if, you know, worry tends to be superstitious. You know, I've got to keep worrying or something bad's going to happen. Just letting insecurity have that steering wheel. You've got to realize you have a choice. You're allowing insecurity to steer. Now, it may not feel that way, but it's the truth. So recognize that you do have a choice. You could say no to insecurity. And this is what you need to embrace. The fact that you have choice. The fact that you're not a victim. Ah, that is a big word. Victims are powerless. I always use that in my ending. And you're not powerless. There's power there. It's just not being accessed. So if you're worrying, let's use that as an example. First thing you say to yourself when you catch yourself worrying, start out by saying, I am choosing to worry. Now, we can you know, play with that a little bit because, in a sense, you're not choosing to worry. It is your child reflex. But nevertheless, let's just start out by saying, I'm choosing to worry. At which point, I want you to recognize that since I'm choosing to worry, it begs the question, well, what's not choosing to worry? And not choosing to worry is to stop worrying, to risk letting go of worry, to become more present. You see, again, worry is in the future about something happening. When you choose not to worry, you're choosing to be more present. Worry is in the future. In the present, you have a choice not to worry. And when you choose not to worry, in a sense, you're telling yourself, stop it, drop it. Conscious mind, the power of the conscious mind. And it's a good idea to become more present whenever you feel that physiological change that bring, is brought about by insecurity. Become more present. Take a deep breath. Feel that breath. Look around you. Look at your environment. What kind of day is it? Become present. 
The mind can take you away from the present and project you into some uncertain, insecure pa uh, past or future. I should bring in the past. Same difference. If you go back to regrets and you say, oh, why did I do that? I should never do the same thing. That's insecurity-driven thinking. It goes forward and backward. There's no arrow of time for insecurity. It can go anywhere it wants. But you're in the present. You don't have to be victimized. So you can decide to be strong. Why not? Now, that may feel risky, especially if you have low confidence, low esteem. Being strong is not something you're familiar with. But why not? What's holding you back? Think about it. The only thing holding you back is that you're listening to the voice of insecurity. There's nothing in your way. There's nothing stopping you from letting go of insecurity-driven thinking. Well, let's conclude with this. You're not as vulnerable as you think. I know we don't have claws and we don't have wings to escape if we, we have our brains. And when our brains are hijacked by insecurity, you're a victim. And you may think that you're becoming less vulnerable, but look what you're doing to your life. What you're doing to your life is that you are suspending it. You're living in your life in anticipatory concern. You're living your life with regret. You're living your life, well, let's face it, you're really not living your life. Insecurity is dictating a false life. Future doesn't exist. The past is gone. That's where neuroticism lies. Being present, risking letting go of insecurity-driven thinking. You're not going to be vulnerable, but how are you going to find out if you don't take the shot? How are you going to build self-trust? Self-trust is the key to self-coaching. How are you going to build self-trust if you don't take some risks? So what are the risks? Well, stop feeding the pigeons. That may feel risky. Stop feeding the insecurity. Try not worrying about something that occurs. Try to just let life unfold and see how you do. That's building the self-trust muscle. So if you really want to feel less vulnerable, start finding out that you're a survival machine. You have everything you need to handle life, more so than if you listen to insecurity. If you trust your resources, you will have a more formidable array of defenses, if necessary, to handle life's slings and arrows. Trust that you are, again, a survival machine, but you have to access your intuitive, instinctual capacity to protect yourself, not your neurotic capacity. Well, I'm going to end it there. But again, I'm going to go right back to where I started. If you're serious about wanting to take your life back from insecurity, if you're serious about wanting to be happy again, if you're serious about not wanting anxiety or depression, start out by practicing daily, letting go of insecurity-driven thinking. Because if you're feeding the habit of insecurity, what happens with the habit? It doesn't go anywhere. It just gets stronger. You're not going to get rid of anxiety and depression by feeding it. You've got to stop feeding anxiety and depression. Let's get back to the pristine state, the potential pristine state of solace that we all possess if we get out of our way. And that's about it for today. So I'd like you to visit my website selfcoaching.net, where you can find out more about my self-coaching philosophy and the various books that I've written. And in particular, I'd like you to look at my latest book, Unlearning Anxiety and Depression. And if you want to reach me for any comment or anything you'd like me to talk about in the future, or et cetera, et cetera, I'm at self-coachinghelp self, self at aol.com. 
And everybody yells at me for using AOL. You know, I, I'm, you know, I've been around a while. People have to, you know, not not put me in a box and say, you're not using Gmail. Well, I won't get into that. But anyway, you can reach me at selfcoachinghelp at AOL.com. So until next time, remember that being victimized by emotional struggle is not an option, right? That's what we're talking about. And by definition, victims are powerless. And you're not powerless. Remember, everything is hard until you make it simple. So join me every week. What do you say we make it Believe simple together? Yourself. Reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender. There is more than it seems. Hold on.